Good morning. My name is Ryan Labrie. This morning, our scriptures reading is from 1 John. Please follow along in your Bibles or use the screens. I'll be reading from 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, from the New Revised Standard Version. 1 John 2. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for our sins only, but also for the sins of the whole world. Now by this, we may be sure that we know him if we obey his commandments. Whoever says, I have come to know him, but does not obey his commandments, is a liar. And in such a person, the truth does not exist. But whoever obeys his word, truly in this person, the love of God has reached perfection. By this, we may be sure that we are in him. Whoever says, I abide in him, ought to walk just as he walked. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Julie Steele, and I'm one of the pastors here at Evergreen. This is the second Sunday of Advent, and I have a question for you. How many of you have your Christmas trees up? Ooh, most of you do. How many of you cut your own tree? A few of you do. We cut our own tree. Uh, We've done that for 35 years at a tree farm up in North Bend, and it's pretty fun, but... um, We had something happen last year that was um, kind of of a disaster, and it looked something like this. Buddy was not around, however, this is what happened to our tree. Barry and I were, this is a big eight-foot tree, we were sitting in the living room, and I looked over at the tree, and it was, I said, you know, it looks like it's leaning? And about two seconds later, bam! And I'm one of those people that when you see something on TV or in the movies and everything's a big mess, I just think, someone has to clean that up. And all I thought was, oh my gosh, I have to clean this up, there's no one else around here. So we lost quite a few ornaments, it was a mess, got it put back up, thought we had everything fine. About a week later, our other son came in from um, California, and I was telling him about how this had happened and how crazy it was. And um, so we walk in the door, and I looked at it, I go, Adam, that looks like it did last time it fell. We walked over to the tree, and you put your hand on it, and it started coming down. So the rest of the year, we turned the tree. We don't even know what ornaments are left. It it was very sad. But anyway, we're hoping this year we do not have a repeat of that issue. Okay, so let's move on to our scripture for today. We are in our series, True Love, and it's in 1 John 2, 1 through 6 is what we're going to be looking at today. And we're going to be looking at how... True love is proven in Christ's advocacy in verses 1 through 2. And then the second part, we're going to look at how true love is proven in our obedience. So we have two sections here. So here's verses 1 through 2. 
And it says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Well, when I read that, I thought, well, how do we know what these things are? What were the previous things the author was writing to this community? So what, let's look back to chapter 1, and what it says is that if we say we don't sin, then we're deceiving ourselves, and we are actually uh, saying that the truth is not in us. And making that claim that we don't sin is calling God a liar, because he clearly says that we do. But if we do confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and then we're forgiven. So that's what the author is referring to at the beginning of chapter 2. Now, a few weeks ago, Peter had talked a bit about Gnosticism. And the book of 1 John, one of the primary reasons it was written was to counter a form of Gnosticism that was promoted by the people who were once a part of this Christian community that the author is writing to. And there was some confusion about sin and what it was and what it wasn't. So I'm going to read you a little quote here. Gnostics assert that matter is inherently evil and spirit is good. As a result of this presupposition, Gnostics believe anything done in the body, even the grossest of sins, has no meaning because real life exists in the spirit realm only. So this is why 1 John keeps emphasizing that the denial of sin is simply not true. So the author is warning his readers against this false teaching, but instead to hold to the truth that God is both light and love, and he's requiring his children to walk in that same light and love. Now, if you continue to read in this verse, it says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, well, doesn't that seem kind of contradictory? It's like, don't do that, but if you do, here's what you do. I'm telling you so that you don't, but if you do, the author is clearly affirming here that we are going to sin. However, when we do, he's also assuring the readers that we have divine provision in place as long as we confess the sin and walk in God's light. It's the not confessing that leads to darkness. Haven't you ever done something and kept it in the dark? You kept it a secret, you held it in. And how do you feel when you keep that deep, dark secret in? Well, I was thinking back to, well, there's many occasions I could share, but they're thinking back to a time when I was a little girl and we had a record player. And I know some of you remember what record players are. You put this vinyl round thing on this turntable and there's a little needle that sits on the album that, that's how the music comes out. I don't know how, but it happens. Anyway, in our family, we had this record player, and we didn't have much at all. So this was a very prized possession of my father's. And one day, I started playing with the needle. It got, like, dust on it. You know, it used to be able to just go blow the dust off this little needle. So archaic now. But um, you put the needle on there, and I took my finger, and I was thinking, well, I'm just going to, this feels really weird, and I'm going to clean this thing, and pop off came the needle. So I was devastated, because I knew 
I thought we could never replace that needle. And I did not confess that I did it. And dad comes home from work. Who broke the record player? I kept my mouth shut. It was the cone of silence. Well, nobody was fessing up to it, of course, because it was me. I remember all night long having this pit in my stomach of just feeling sick, like, if I tell my dad, he's going to kill me. I mean, I really thought this was going to be it. And I got to the point where I guess I didn't care because I had to confess. And the way I did it was I wrote him a note. Now, I have no idea what a six-year-old note would have looked like, but it was basically, I'm sorry I did it. Kill me if you need to. I don't know. But <laughs> so clearly he didn't because I'm here. But um, it was having to get that guilt off. And it's the not confessing where we feel like we are walking in the darkness, because we are. So God's true love is proven in Jesus coming as our advocate. And we get some assurance here for when we do sin, we've got this plan in place. Well, what is an advocate? It's a person who pleads on someone else's behalf. And this word in the Greek also is used to describe the activity of the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. Now, have you ever been an advocate for somebody? We hear a lot about advocacy, don't we, these days? You need an advocate. A group needs an advocate. Well, we all actually need an advocate. And when you have been someone's advocate, maybe you have stood up with, for someone at school or at work, you have pleaded somebody's case. Well, I, another time, remember when I was in high school, again, something archaic, we had a phone on the wall in the middle of the kitchen. That is the only way we had phones back then. And it was really hard to have a private conversation in the middle of the kitchen with this phone on the wall. I mean, the cord only went so far. So um, I'm just looking at all these young people. They have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> Anyway, so uh, it was like a tether. I don't know how to explain it. So I really wanted a phone in my room. And some of my friends were getting phones in their rooms. And unbeknownst to me, until after the fact, my boyfriend went to my dad and pled my case. Asked, he said he would buy the phone. Could I have a phone in my room? I mean, you know, that was really nice of him. And so he was my advocate. He was advocating for me. I did not get the phone. <laughs> so we had to continue to write notes to each other during class and just pass them in the hallway for any private conversations. So he didn't turn out to be a great advocate. But I've been an advocate for members of my family. Someone's in the hospital, you go to the doctor with them, something happens. You need to make decisions for someone else that's in their best interest, right? We even have something called a power of attorney that is a legal document that gives somebody the power to make these decisions on someone else's behalf if you are incapacitated. Now, I have a problem with admitting that I need an advocate sometimes. I think that I can control or handle my situation. If I just try harder, if I just try to be nicer, if I just try to be more forgiving, well, it hasn't worked out so far for me very well. And usually what happens is it, it really transfers over into me 
admitting that Jesus needs to be my advocate, that I need him to be my advocate. And sometimes it takes me a while to come around to realizing that I just need to call on my advocate for help. I don't know if you've ever felt this way, but I have also felt like I'm unworthy of my advocate. That what I've done is just too dark and too awful to even admit and go to Jesus and ask for forgiveness because I know I don't deserve it. And sometimes that can be a barrier for people to coming to Jesus, I think. Well, why do we need an advocate? We need one because all of us sin, and our sin, the things that we do that are not God's ways, separate us from a righteous God. Jesus is the righteous one. It even calls him Christ, Jesus Christ the righteous in these verses. He is the one who is righteous and can make atonement for our sins, can bring us back to God. We see here in the uh, book of Matthew, she will bear a son and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, right? So when the first man, Adam, ate the fruit that was forbidden by God, he willfully turned away from God. Adam broke the relationship between God and humans. Now, it's important to understand that God was not the one who walked away from Adam. As a matter of fact, if you remember in the garden, it was God who came and sought out Adam and Eve. They hid from him. Nowhere in Scripture does it say that God has to be reconciled to us. It always says man has to be reconciled to God. God is completely righteous, and so the consequence of that disobedience was having to not be able to be in the garden and not be in a right relationship with God anymore. Adam and Eve had to leave that, and that was their choice by making the choice to disobey God. But Jesus the righteous, the sinless one, the only one who could be the advocate for all humanity, He's the one who stood in our place. He is the one who took on all of our sin. And because of that, we are able to take on his righteousness. His sacrifice was sufficient for all time, and he is the one who's able to reconcile us to the Father. It looks kind of like this. Here we are, Christ is in the middle, and there is the law, and God is the judge. That's the law. When God looks at us, if we've come to Jesus through faith in him, what does he see in the middle? He doesn't see us over here. He sees Christ's righteousness, and that's what we are able to put on now. If you believe what Jesus did on the cross was the only act needed to be forgiven, for him to be your advocate, then that's what God sees, Christ's righteousness, not your sin. Now, the last part of this verse says, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And this reminds me of our passage in Luke, where the angel comes and says, 
that do not be afraid, for see, I am bringing you good news of great joy for all people, not a select few, not just a group. The angel is saying, the Savior's for everybody. And 1 John seems to have the whole world in his view when he's talking in these verses, but not in a universal sense, but rather in a sufficiency sense. This verse is not saying that all people will be saved by Christ's death, but instead that Jesus' death was and is sufficient to deal with everybody's sin, every person in the world who comes to faith in him. Jesus is your advocate if you call him that, if you choose him to be. You can try to lead a good life, to be a good person, You cannot be good enough. You cannot do enough good works or attend church enough or even give enough. You could fund the whole elevator fund, and that wouldn't do it, but I'm going to challenge you to try. (laughs) The law is going to get you every time. We always miss the mark, the benchmark, that standard that is there for all people. You know, I was thinking, I'm going to confess to you, on a good day, I can go maybe five minutes without saying or thinking something that would be against one of God's commandments. I'm not proud of it, but it's true. From the beginning of time, God has had a plan to reconcile us to himself. It was a plan that could only come from true love. It's the act of a father sending his sinless, righteous, perfect son to take on the sin of the world. He who knew no sin became sin. I have a really hard time getting past that. As a parent, and many of you are parents here, the idea of taking one of my sons and giving them up for people who deserve to be punished? I don't understand that. I don't understand that kind of love. It's hard to take the blame for someone else. Don't we always fight for what's fair? Hey, I didn't do it. Or it was their idea. Or they started it. We are always fighting for what's fair. We don't want to get blamed for anything, even the things that we should get blamed for. Yes, we need an advocate, and because God's true love for us of it, we have one in Jesus. So now our true love is proven in our obedience. So all of a sudden, uh, this author here is making a shift. He's switching gears from God's true love for us to now our true love for him. Why do you think he does this? Well, you have to know your advocate for them to be your advocate. And what he's telling us here is how do we know that we even know who God is. What is the standard for that? What, how do we prove that we know him? Well, it's pretty clear here with three times it uses the word obey, it says obey him. 
If you really know him, you will obey him. Now, he also says that we are not to, we're supposed to walk like Christ walked. We aren't supposed to do just what he says, but we also are supposed to do what he does. How many times have we say, do what I say, not as I do? Well, that's not how it is with Christ. We do both. To John, the true knowledge of God is essentially personal and it's practical. It's experiential, it's not speculative and abstract. It involves obeying and abiding. It involves a present reaction, a kind of continual reflex to the will and the ways of God. It's not just a one-time enlightenment, but rather a past experience with ongoing present consequences. So why does God want us to obey him? And why does he even want us to love him? I mean, he's God. Is he some needy, narcissistic being that is on a power trip and just is kind of pointing a finger at us? You need to obey me? What do you think? Well, in Acts 17, this is what it says. And human hands can't serve his needs, for he has no needs. He himself gives life and breath to everything, and he satisfies every need. Not us. He's the one that does that. So then what does God get from us when we obey him, which proves that we love him? He gets the pleasure of seeing his children, us, live a full and meaningful life, the life he intended us to have from the very beginning. All of his commands are for our good, right? He, they are for the good of us, and they're for the good of all of his creation. When we're living by God's standards and we are loving him, then we're living his way, the way he intended for us. For the love of God is this, that we obey his commands, and his commandments, they're not burdensome. They are not meant to kill our fun. They are not meant for us to just be in this obedient relationship with him that's this power struggle. They are meant for our good, and when we are following his commands, we are free and we are light and we are not under the burden of darkness at all. So remember back in the Garden of Eden, all was well to begin with. Everything was in perfect balance, humans, creatures, all of creation. That's what God intended, and it's what he wants for us today. Think about the times when you know that you've been following God's will, when you've been obeying him when you're truly loving others and following his commands, you are manifesting God's reign on earth, God's ways. God gets to see his kingdom working itself out on earth through us. When we walk in his light, we are overcoming the darkness of this world. And there is a lot of darkness in this world. You listen to any of the news. I think about this morning on NPR, I heard a segment in uh, Jordan. There is a Catholic church and school that has started for refugees from Iraq that have fled from ISIS. 
And they were talking about how these little children, there's 500 families they're serving. These little children who have had everything taken away from them are all of a sudden playing with toys and being who they should be. And I thought, that is such a dark place. But think of the light that is in that dark place. The closest analogy I have of a relationship that God has to us is the parent-child relationship. Now, it's not a perfect analogy because God is perfect and we are flawed, although I think I'm a pretty good parent most of the time. But when your child is doing well, when they are displaying Christ-like characteristics, doesn't that bring you joy? Isn't that just so satisfying? You see them encouraging a friend, helping somebody without being asked, doing all kinds of things that you go, wow, they get it. I think that's a little bit of how God feels with us when he sees us obeying him and working out his ways on this earth. They get it. Well, we were all created in God's image, and so we are going to be most satisfied when we are emulating God. God knows that, and that's why he created these commandments for us, so that we could live in freedom and live in the light. They are for our good, not for God to feel powerful and demanding. You see, it's in the obeying of the commandments that we can be at peace with God and each other. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. Now, we really see this at Christmas time, don't we? We have a giving tree out in the lobby. We have many ways for you to serve or to give to others. And the whole world seems to come around this Christmas spirit, whether they go to church or not, whether they know God or not, because it's in us as humans. It is literally the Christmas spirit coming through. It's how we were wired. We, are, we gain joy when we are doing what God has commanded us to do, which is to love others. Everybody's excited about it. Well, I think about some movies that I have, Christmas movies, that really emulate this Christmas spirit. And of course, there's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. His heart grew 10 times plus something. I can't remember now. But here he started out just being a curmudgeon and being against Christmas. And something happened to him inside, some Christmas spirit. Then, of course, there's Christmas Carol, which is one of the most famous. So I have two versions of the Christmas Carol in here, of the old ones, Mr. Magoo's Christmas Carol, and, of course, Scrooged. So any genre you want, you get the same message that by the end of these stories, instead of being inward-focused, all of a sudden somebody turns outward-focused, and that brings them great joy. And last, how many of you heard of this kind of obscure one called the Lemon Drop Kid? Ooh, I'm going to challenge you to find it. It's a Bob Hope movie, and it's all about these, it's very funny, it's all about these con guys who are pretending to be Salvation Army bell ringers, it's back in the 40s, and they're, they find out, though, instead of taking that money for themselves, they find out about a bunch of old ladies who live in this old lady home who are going to get kicked out. So then they decide they're going to take all that money and use it for that, and it's hilarious. Anyway, they have the Christmas spirit, even those who you wouldn't think so. 
When we truly love God, the natural outcome for us is going to be obeying him. It's going to be obeying his commands. To obey God is to love God, and to love God is to obey God. We know we are truly loving God when we are obeying his commands, and they are not burdensome. Have you called Jesus your advocate? Have you thought about him that way, your perfect advocate? If you've called him your advocate, are there ways that you're not obeying him? Are there things you're not doing or you are doing that would contradict what God is calling us to do and how to live? Jesus is our advocate, our righteous advocate, who chose to leave his throne in heaven and enter into this dark world to become like us and to walk among us. When others see you, would they describe you as somebody who truly loves God? That's the explanation for how you act. In response to the act of Christ becoming our advocate, we can show our true love to his true love by obeying him. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you sent your sinless Son to be our advocate. We thank you for that reality, and we also thank you that we can have a way to respond back by obeying you. God, I pray that we would take that to heart today and that we would listen to your voice to see if we need to do anything to change our ways, to walk in your light. We pray these things in your name. Amen.